Hi, I'm Alex Smith, host of The Asterisk, a serialized podcast from Pregame Skate, highlighting the game-changing events that unfolded throughout the 2019-2020 NHL season. In each episode, we'll outline occurrences that will change the sport for years to come. Joining us for episode two of The Asterisk is Associated Press hockey writer Stephen Wino. Stephen has covered the NHL and D.C. area sports for years, contributing to the Associated Press, along with notable news outlets like ABC News, Business Insider, The Washington Post, and Fox News, among others. Our conversation with Stephen took us back to the fall of 2019, which seems like eons ago given the events that unfolded in 2020. First, a word from our sponsors. NHL players start every game day with a pregame skate. Now you can too by subscribing to Pregame Skate, an email newsletter detailing what's happening in the hockey world and why it matters, all in five minutes or less. And that's not all you get with this five-minute major upgrade to your inbox. Subscribers to Pregame Skate gain access to its monthly live conference calls with NHL players, coaches, scouts, and journalists as the NHL season kicks into full gear. There's no better time to join the Pregame Skate roster. To subscribe, visit www.pregameskate.com. It's important to recognize that some of last fall's events will greatly impact the NHL for years to come, starting with the firing of Mike Babcock, who was the first domino to fall in a string of head coaching changes. Big breaking news In the NHL, the Toronto Maple Leafs have fired head coach Mike Babcock after a sixth straight loss, the latest in Vegas against the Golden Knights. The Leafs not doing well. Mike Babcock was welcomed to the six as a decorated Stanley Cup winning head coach known for getting the best out of his players. Regarded as one of the best in the business, the Leafs signed him to a contract paying over $6 million annually. On Tuesday afternoon, Maple Leafs President and Alternate Governor Brennan Shanahan announced that Mike Babcock has been named the team's newest head coach. Babcock becomes the 30th head coach in Maple Leafs history. In 10 seasons behind the Detroit Red Wings bench, Babcock led the franchise in wins with 458. In his time with the Red Wings, the club won the President's Trophy twice in a Stanley Cup in 2008. Wino remembers the excitement in Toronto. Following Babcock's hiring, It's weird because I was working in Toronto when they hired Mike Babcock. And I remember the pomp and circumstance of the moment of this is the coach who's going to lead this team to the Stanley Cup. It was just a coronation more than anything else. They literally almost had a parade out in Maple Leaf Square for hiring this guy. The high price tag seemed worth it at the time. He was thought to be Toronto's best bet at bringing home their first championship since 1967. And the man meant to lead a Leafs squad filled with young talent like Austin Matthews, Mitch Marner, and Morgan Riley. But after just over four seasons where he won 173 games, that's fifth in Leafs franchise history, Babcock was abruptly fired. The November firing shocked the hockey world, but a deeper dive into his coaching tactics potentially could have foreshadowed the move. For starters, former Red Wing Johan Franzen accused Babcock of verbal attacks. Then, Mitch Marner revealed an instance when the Stanley Cup winning coach made him rank Leafs players in order of work ethic, later sharing the list with his teammates. Over the weekend, Terry Koshan of the Toronto Sun 
uh, in one of his articles, put in a little nugget, a story that he had heard through his sources about Mike Babcock and Mitch Marner from Marner's rookie season in 2016 and 17. The story goes like this and has since been confirmed by all parties involved. Terry wrote the following. Babcock was alleged to have asked one of the Leaf rookies to list the players on the team from hardest working to those who, in the eyes of the rookie, Mitch Marner, didn't have a strong work ethic. The rookie did so not wanting to upset his coach, but was taken aback when Babcock told the players who had been listed at the bottom of the list. Here's Wino on the allegations. You started hearing the stories about how Babcock psychologically abused players. Well, remember that story came out about how he made Mitch Marner list his teammates and who hustled the least. Remember that? That was where this all started was it came out to be almost like psychological abuse where Johan Franzen shared that story. And then Mitch Marner had to answer for, yeah, he made me make this list. I put myself at the bottom, but also I had to answer to these other guys who I put at the bottom of this list to who Bab said that I don't think they hustle very much. And so it was it started people thinking, what's the method of coaching? And we've had all these discussions over the last few years about players, coaches, and the John Coopers and the Bruce Boudreaux and those sort of guys compared to a Joel Quenville and Mike Babcock and all that. And it started to creep that conversation back up again. Less than one week after Babcock's firing, Akeem Alou outed Calgary Flames head coach Bill Peters in a tweet, citing repeated instances of racism while he was the head coach of the AHL's Rockford Icehawks. Uh, the Bill Peters story with Calgary continues after a story surfaced that he uttered racial remarks to a former player in the American Hockey League back in the 09-10 season. Uh, right now, as we speak, the Calgary Flames are in Buffalo getting ready for a hockey game at Key Bank Center tomorrow night. But the story has definitely taken a different turn. Bill Peters did not run practice today. There is an investigation ongoing, courtesy of Brad Treliving. Lou's comments were later corroborated by Rockford Icehawk teammates Simon Pepin and Peter MacArthur, leading to Peter's resignation. This morning I received a letter of resignation from Bill Peters, which I accepted. Effective immediately, Bill Peters is no longer a member of the Calgary Flames organization. The subject matter that we've been dealing with over the last three days is difficult, it's hard, and it does not in any way reflect the core values of the Calgary Flames. All right, that was Flames General Manager Brad Tree Living announcing the resignation of Bill Peters as head coach of the team after allegations of racist language and physical abuse became public over the last week. Let's bring in our Flames. The fact that there wasn't a kind of indefinite suspension handed down to Bill Peters from the NHL leads me to believe that, not to say it's an isolated incident to devalue it in any way, but that it wasn't necessarily a trend of his personality. That's what it sounded like that investigation internal stuff that the flames and the NHL did was that yes, the situation in Carolina could be corroborated the situation in Rockford could be corroborated. But beyond that, it's not like Bill Peters had a history of kind of racist and physically violent things toward players. But that wasn't the end of the story. The hockey world later learned that Peters also had issues in Carolina where he was the head coach from 2014 to 2018. Well, what's interesting is Rod Brindamore essentially acknowledged it. Rod Brindamore, who was an assistant at the time, basically said, yeah, it happened. We addressed it. He was of the opinion. And even Ron Francis had to come out from Seattle and say, we were made aware of it. We went to ownership. 
they obviously didn't fire Bill Peters at the time, but there was a, a kind of an acknowledgement from that organization that, yes, he did kick a player on the bench. This did actually happen. Even I remember at the time, there were concerns of, is Ron Francis going to lose that Seattle job because of something Bill Peters did and how he didn't respond to it? Because we've seen all these allegations around sports where it's not necessarily the crime, but the cover-up. Penn State, with the Joe Paterno situation and the Jerry Sandusky situation, Joe Paterno lost his job for what he didn't do. And so looking at Bill Peters, where it, it's clear that he did hit a player, physically hit a player, and Peter Laviolette, remember there was a video that showed where he smacked a player in the back of the head. We, we had little bits and pieces of, of those sort of stories come out. It was almost hockey coaching's kind of me too moment in that you had everybody coming out with a story and then coaches had to defend themselves in, hey, I did this or I didn't do this. And I think it really will change the way coaches approach players, maybe not immediately, but certainly evolve that behavior. Oh, and how about this for some irony? Bill Peters served as an assistant coach under, you guessed it, Mike Babcock in Detroit from 2011 to 2014. Here's Wino on the impact these coaching changes had on the NHL. And then it was a domino effect because when you started then having people tweeting about because of Mike Babcock firing, you had Akeem Alou tweet about Bill Peters. And then the allegation from Michael Jordan came out from what happened in Carolina. And then all of a sudden he's got to resign and Jeff Ward takes over. And it was almost the start of hockey's kind of awakening about not just racism, but like coaching abuse in a way that if the Maple Leafs had won more games at the start of the year, if for whatever reason, they don't have the handful of those injuries and they buy into Babcock's team structure, maybe none of this happens. Maybe we never hear Akeem Alou's story about what happened with Bill Peters in the minors. And then he's still coaching the Calgary Flames. And we almost until maybe George Floyd don't have this kind of discussion about what race and everything means in hockey. So it's incredible just the domino effect of how strange things happen from late October, November on. There's a lot to unpack here. We asked Wino if he's seen any immediate ramifications to what he called hockey's Me Too moment. I think what we'll see more than, because I think there is a modern acceptance of you're not going to hit grown men. You think that at this point, it's 2019, 20, that you're not going to be hitting people who work for you in physically. But I do think that GMs and, and team presidents are going to be a little more sensitive about hiring guys who have that kind of history. Mike Babcock's going to be expensive, but are teams like the Rangers or Capitals or Blackhawks who are going to be looking for a coach potentially in the next several months, if not years, so going to look at someone who has a history of at least psychological abuse, if not kind of that minor physical abuse? It's true. There will be changes moving forward as teams look to hire new head coaches. Looking now to the 2020 NHL playoffs, we saw John Tortorella, a coach who has a history of being a hard-nosed, old-school-type coach, have success. What makes Tortorella's coaching style effective in today's NHL? Here's Wino's thoughts on the Blue Jackets' head coach. I'm going to start this by saying I wouldn't want to deal with him as a member of the media every day, but I would want to play for him as a player. And I think everyone has started to see with these Zoom calls being televised with how John Tortorella acts after a bad loss. And it's a bad look. It's rude at the very least. But you could also say he's trying to take the pressure off his players by making himself the story. I understand that part. But for people who are trying to do their jobs, it's a pain in the neck to deal with John Tortorella. That said, 
As a player, I want that. I want someone who's not afraid to walk away from an interview to defend players, even if it's in kind of a convoluted way. But I think his style works. I think he's tough on players and expects a lot out of them, but also will reward them with ice time. Will reward them because the style of hockey works. It wins. It at least puts you in games. And Columbus, we know, not as talented as Tampa Bay, but to play them close throughout the entire series, even losing in five games, shows what Tortorella hockey can do with maybe less talent on paper than another team. So I do like John Tortorella. I think his style wears on guys quicker. Elaine Vigneault this might be the same way. Peter Laviolette, Mike Sullivan, the same way, where it's good for probably two, three, four years at a time, and then he's going to have to move on. And he lasted with the Lightning for a while, lasted with the Rangers for a while, not so much with Vancouver, longer now with Columbus. He's mellowed a little bit, but he is certainly a fascinating study in just personality because if he treated players like he treated reporters, he'd be out of business a long time ago. Tortorella really is hard on members of the media. He was even fined $25,000 for his conduct during a press conference after his team was eliminated from the playoffs. You know what, guys? I'm not going to get into the touchy-feely stuff and the moral victories and all that. You guys but as Stephen points out, Tortorella has adjusted his coaching style ever so slightly to work in today's NHL, as evidenced by his selection as a finalist for the Jack Adams Award, given to the league's best coach. We asked Wino to name another head coach who does things the right way. It's Bruce Cassidy. And I think the lesson that he learned in Washington was he was a bad coach and might have been a bad person at the time during his first job. Because I remember talking to George McPhee and guys who played for Bruce Cassidy back in Washington when it was an unmitigated disaster. And it was just basically, this is not a good guy. And he went to the minors for a decade, essentially, to rehab not just his reputation, but rehab himself as a person. And dealing with Bruce Cassidy now, just from as a media member, he's a pleasure. He's probably the best talker. And it's not just necessarily about friendly. It's about being polite and listening to questions and answering them. And every player you talk to respects him, that they can get scratched and still have a conversation with him and still want to run through a wall for him. But also knowing that he knows the game and knows their personalities. And I think what seems like the kind of the trend here among coaches is today's game, being able to treat stars and other players the same with rules, be able to communicate differently to different personalities is the key to coaching now. If you know how to, and maybe Mike Sullivan was good at this at times, and maybe has lost this with Pittsburgh. I think Barry Trotz is very good at this. Just to be able to say, if you're talking to an Alex Ovechkin, it's a different conversation than if you're talking to a Nick Jensen or talking to a Braden Holpe and just different ways guys want to learn and be told why I'm not playing or why I'm getting promoted and those sort of things that for coaches 20 years ago, Scotty Bowman didn't do this. Scotty Bowman just said, go do your sprints, but he was good at the X's and O's. He was good at those sort of things that you could win with them. I think now you see so many guys lose their jobs because they're not necessarily good at communicating different ways to different kind of players. Cassidy's Bruins were forced to make a change in goal following Tuka Rask's decision to opt out of the 2020 playoffs midway through their series with the Hurricanes. Throughout the postseason, we saw multiple teams utilize both goaltenders, something that's rarely seen in the playoffs. Here's Wino's take. 
Kevin Weeks mentioned this to me the other day, that it's making coaches think differently about the goaltending position. That kind of back when he was playing, it was Marty Berger's playing. That's it. It doesn't matter what the circumstances are, Berger's in the net. And now you've got Pierre DeBoer literally thinking, okay, Fleury's been my starter. Robin Leonard probably matches up well against the Blackhawks and starts him four out of the five games. You have Craig Berube, who honestly, I thought Jake Allen probably should have started the series, but I understand Craig Berube saying, Jordan Bennington wants Stanley Cup for us. He's our guy. That it has forced coaches to think a little differently. I think Elaine Vigneault messed up by not starting Brian Elliott on the second half of a back-to-back and having Carter Hart playing both of those games wasn't necessarily as sharp. That I think Rod Brindamore did that correctly in the qualifying round, putting James Reimer in on the second half of a back-to-back, finished off a sweep of the Rangers. That it's such a unique position, as, as you know, that it's weirder in these playoffs because when you have a Marc-Andre Fleury and a Robin Leonard who can work together and can split the starts and both feel like they're part of the team, that's hard because there's only one net. And you can't necessarily always have two starters rotating like that. We haven't seen a team actually rotate goaltenders without injury. The Penguins did it when Marc-Andre Fleury and Matt Murray were hurt. We saw it a little bit of Cam Ward taking over in 06, but this is not a normal thing, but it's not a normal circumstance. And it's nice to see coaches and goalies adapt to that. The 2020 playoff bubble was a wild experience for players, but it was also a unique time for journalists like Wino, who covered the action. Here's his thoughts on the NHL's handling of the media. The NBA did this where they allowed 10 selected reporters. Uh, My outlet, the AP, has a reporter in the NBA bubble. It costs 50 grand for the entire time, and that pays for three meals a day, lodging, testing. You're there the entire time. You're embedded. You've got to follow all the rules. The NHL did not want to do that. The NHL and, and players wanted no part of having independent reporters in the bubble. It's been a point of contention other than the broadcaster, the Gordon Millers, those sort of folks who have been in that bubble and are rights holders. I don't think they wanted folks seeing whether it was coaches at the bar, players with casts on their legs, those sort of things. I think it fits into the secretive nature of the sport and injuries and playoff time that Maybe 30 years ago, this would have been allowed. But for me and my colleagues, even those who are allowed to go into the buildings, they're only allowed to wash from the 300 level and every interview is done virtually. So we're kind of an arm's length, if not more, apart from what's actually going on in the bubble. It's made it weird. I don't know that it's made it more difficult. It's made it more difficult to try to tell interesting stories that other people don't have because it's not like you're getting one-on-one interviews. You're not having conversations to the side. You're not even getting the ideas of just being at the rink and talking to people and watching practices and those sort of things. So I think that the overall coverage is worse, but you're able to sit at home or sit wherever. And I've got the Zoom interview going with the Canadians. It's about to start and I'll hit the record button just to make sure I have everything that's said there. And then the Flyers are talking it at noon and then the Canucks and the Blues are talking later. And so I can essentially talk to players and coaches from all of these teams without going anywhere. So there's a benefit to it. I just think that the overall coverage is worse when you don't have that face-to-face interaction and can't have those conversations that they don't even have to be on the record, just conversations about what players are seeing, what coaches are seeing, what colleagues are seeing and hearing and talking about that I think make it fun to be around the sport. And of course, we got Wino's take on how we will remember the 2020 Stanley Cup champion, Tampa Bay Lightning, and how this monumental season will impact the sport in the future. No one's going to forget who wins this championship. You could say, oh, for folks who aren't hardcore about this, 
oh, they don't remember who won the 2003 Stanley Cup or whatever. No one's going to forget who won the 2020 Stanley Cup because of how strange this is. And I do buy the argument from players and coaches that this is going to be one of the harder championships to win because it's going to be different. It's not necessarily the grind of the 82 games right into the playoffs, but it's the psychological grind of being away from families and being stuck in a bubble and playing without fans and having to create your own energy and atmosphere. And eventually families are going to be let in, but it's a different kind of playoffs. And that's why I understand the asterisk idea that it's a different kind of level of championship, but it is harder. It's harder and it's testing players and coaches and staffs on a mental, emotional, psychological level that the playoffs usually don't. That everybody talks about distractions and dealing with that. There are no distractions. That's the distraction. The fact that there's nothing else going on but hockey. And it's fascinating to see some of these series when a team goes up 3-0 or 3-1, how it's almost a battle of will of who wants to stay in this thing and try to fight if you don't think you can win a series or win a championship. And that's the most fascinating part for me is just just seeing teams and players and who wants to fight. The Canadians want to fight to stay. The Washington Capitals don't get swept and show that they want to come back in a game and come back in a series. And the motivations are so different. And that's why, of course, it's 2020. It's a weird year. But it's just changed what the challenges are, in my opinion. The bubble is a test of who wants to stay and who wants to go home. And I think there is a certain allure of wanting to go back to a normal life, even though the bubble might be the safest place on earth right now. I think it's going to change the way players and coaches interact with everyone else. And whether that's media members or fans, I at least think for a little bit, there's going to be a kind of arm's length, stay away sort of environment where everyone's worried about getting sick and the virus and the pandemic. But I think in 10 years, it's going to make everyone appreciate this kind of face-to-face interaction more, that players are going to appreciate having fans there for warmups, there for practices. I think it's going to make the bond between athletes and fans stronger going through this. That's all for this episode of The Asterisk. Join us for episode three with NHLPA certified agent Steve Rich, who will talk about the CBA negotiations prior to the NHL's restart and some of the contract complications caused by the coronavirus pandemic. This podcast was produced by Walk On Holdings, a digital media holding company, along with Pregame Skate. Alex Smith is our host and associate producer. Parker Milner and Brooks Dyroff are the executive producers. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, Google, or wherever you get your podcasts. Please rate and review if you'd like to hear more serialized hockey podcasts in the future. Lastly, don't forget to sign up for our newsletter at www.pregameskate.com. That's all for now. We'll see you next time. 